0: You're listening to Diana's Monster, the story of Diana Edith Harris and the events that transpired on July 23, 1993 in the town of Evanston, Texas. These include the death of at least seven and the disappearance of two, as well as my own birth. My name is Martin Cruz, and I'm searching for my biological parents. My connection to Diana Harris is unknown. In fact, it's entirely possible there isn't any. I'll be telling the story as it happens, so if you haven't already, go back and start at the beginning.
1: So I lied to the lady at the front desk, and I told her I was Marlene's nephew. I'm currently walking down a hallway towards room 217. Hello, Alexander. It's Joel Harris, and he's got a gun.
2: Joel Harris has something on them just you wait and see, and Elizabeth Hall had his wife. But not now. I saw Elizabeth slip something into his glass of wine that night. After the party, Martin Hall died in his sleep, the coroner ruled the cause of death as a heart attack. If Elizabeth Hall sold the remains of the plant or reopened it, thousands of Evanston men and women would have jobs. So you're alleging that
1: Elizabeth Hall and the Gunnett brothers have teamed up to keep the men and women of Evanston unemployed and in poverty. You just read it yourself. I know what I saw. Do you? Marty. He's your son, isn't he?
2: My brother? No. You poor boy. Your brother is dead
0: last time I visited the incarcerated Daniel Richard Gonzalez, the last person to see Marlene Harris before her tragic accident, Marlene Harris has reappeared in Evanston after nearly 23 years of absence. To say Marlene is different would be the understatement of the century. The woman currently being guarded by her former husband is damaged. Marlene Harris fell or was pushed from a great height. Daniel asserts that Marlene Harris was taken into the night sky all those years ago by a great monster. Alexander Xander Carter, son of Joel Harris's mistress and my possible half-brother, has taken to recording his day-to-day interactions. Alexander snuck into the nursing home where Marlene Harris is currently housed. It was there that he ran into Joel Harris, holding a gun. Joel told Xander that he witnessed Elizabeth Hall slip something into a glass of wine consumed by his mentor Martin Hall. Joel claims that it was because of this that Martin died. In exchange for his silence upon the matter, Joel was rewarded with a high-level, high-salary job at the Atascosa Turkey plant, and when that plant burned to the ground, he began receiving checks. Severance pay, he called it. It was a silence Joel Harris broke by speaking to me. Daniel claims that Elizabeth Hall and the notorious Ganes brothers are in cahoots. Wayland Farming United, headed by Miss Hall, will not sell the land the remains of the factory sit on or rebuild the facility. As a result, hundreds if not thousands of Texas men and women remain unemployed. These out-of-work Texans have lost everything. Their houses, healthcare, cars, their hope. These men and women take out loans and take to the streets. They escape into drugs, funneled by the Ganes brothers into the state from Mexico. It's a conspiracy theory at best, and at worst the ramblings of a former drug addict in deep with the wrong people and a grieving father who has seen way too much death. Each man tells a different side to the same story. It's a story I'm not sure if I believe, but that would seemingly connect the dots. All of this, and I'm still no closer to finding my parents. I need to get to the bottom of this. I have to know what happened that night, and if I have a role in this story. Xander and I have, in a sense, teamed up. We are two truth seekers united in a common goal. After my visit with Dana Richard Gonzalez, I made my way to the Refresh assisted living facility to complete my second goal of visiting Marlene Harris. To my surprise, I discovered Xander Carter, mid conversation with Joel Harris.
1: Whoa, Joel, uh, Mr. Harris, why do you have a gun? He's protecting her. I turned my
0: attention to the woman sitting in a wheelchair beside her ex husband. Marlene Harris is staring into the space before her.
1: It's like something out of a Stephen King novel. I keep expecting her to pinch the air before her and rip open the fabric of reality or something.
0: Marlene Harris is balding, her skin sags from her skull, almost smelting from her cheekbones. Her eyes are deep satin gray-green. Marlene smells of baby powder and lavender perfume. She wears a sheer satin nightgown covered in paint.
1: What are you doing here? Same as you, I guess. And then I run into an old father. Oh yeah, I never thanked you for arranging the meeting at the usual. We're family.
0: Joel Harris stares at Alexander Carter. The skin under his left eye twitches ever so slightly.
1: What? What is it?
0: Christy and son was born that night. How did you three get in here? Visiting hours are over. You three need to go. It's family only right now. I'm her husband. And I'm his stepson. And I'm- um, Out, the three of you. Now. Marlene Harris stirs. She does not acknowledge the four intruders in her space, but a small moan escapes from her cracked lips.
1: She's saying something. Yeah, I hear her.
2: You've gone and upset her.
1: No, she's- Marlene, what is it? She's in pain. No, that's not it.
2: Out,
0: right now, or this becomes a police matter. As the nurse escorts us from room 217, I catch a glimpse of a thin canvas stuffed between the box spring and mattress of Marlene's bed. On impulse, I make a break for it.
1: Hey, what are you doing?
0: Grab the painting and run. Later, I admire the painting in my hotel room. It's so... I don't know. I have no words. I almost want to cry. It's exactly like he described Daniel. There's a road, I think it's a road, and uh, a field against a black sky. And in that sky, there's negative space, the outline of an angel. There's a broken woman in the middle of the road below. She's naked, I think, and covered in crimson. This is impossible. I don't- Did Daniel Richard Gonzalez plant the painting in Marlene's room? Did Joel? Is this image supposed to corroborate their story? It's
1: like that Van Gogh, the Starry Night.
0: Funny, I was reminded of the painting Noreen hung in the bathroom. The one, you've seen it, with the kids crossing the bridge and the guardian angel. Uh, what's it called?
1: guardian angel and children crossing bridge
0: oh well that's lame what are you thinking i'm thinking they planted the painting there for me
1: to find who joel or the bartender
0: xander and i fill
1: each other in on the pieces of the story but marlene is the one who was muttering it sounded like painting or she was just in pain maybe that's all she knows how to say mm, i don't know i mean i get that the pieces are starting to fall into place i get that the answer is might not be the answers you're looking for, but they're answers. At some point, you've got to decide to believe.
0: I've taken all of this information at face value, the monster, the fire, the different accounts of what happened that night. So before I continue, I have to ask, do I even believe in monsters? Today, we'll attempt to answer this question by asking an expert. When I first began this podcast, I reached out to several so-called experts in this field, priests, shamans, voodoo kings and queens, all to no avail. Until today. Do you believe in God, Michael? It's Marty, and I'm not sure what I believe in. I was hoping you could help me out.
2: An open mind. I like that.
0: Dr. Cyrus O'Dell is a researcher at the University of Virginia. He works with the division of perceptual studies under the Department of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences. Dr. O'Dell is also the author of the book Exercising Demons, How Negative Energy Affects Your Home. He and I are speaking via Skype. I guess I was just curious if anything like this is even possible.
2: Demons are real, Marty, but... The demonic presence you're describing is somewhat of a hodgepodge of different demons. What do you mean? You're describing an entity that can both change its appearance based on fear.
0: Like Freddy Krueger?
2: And an entity with the power to ensnare, to hypnotize. So is it possible? Sounds like fiction to me, but one can't be unsure. What does that even mean? I've never heard of anything like it. So, that's it then. Game over. Not necessarily. Christian theology refers to demons as minions of Satan. However, the New Testament uses the Greek words diabolos and Diamond. Diabolos, in context, refers to the devil himself, while diamon is often translated as devils, the plural, but would be better translated as demons. Demons, or devils, are most likely fallen angels of God who followed in Lucifer's footsteps.
0: Or hoofprints.
2: Right. You're talking about the cloven-footed depiction of Satan presented by the media. In Genesis, it is believed that Satan took the form of the serpent that tempted Eve. The goat legs, the horn, the beard, all of these attributes belong to the mythological satyr, the lust-filled tempter. Pluto, the ruler of the underworld, is often depicted with a pitchfork. As for the color red, well, nothing inspires lust more than the color red. Nothing reminds us more of Hellfire than Scarlet.
0: What about the bat wings?
2: The Middle Age depiction of Satan featured many monstrous attributes, not just simply the wings of a bat. Bats are nocturnal. Creatures of the night. Desmodus rotundus is one of the species of bats that drinks blood. The blood of Christ is the blessed sacrament spilled for the sins of mankind. To spill that blood outside of the sacrifice would be sinful. Greedy. And it doesn't hurt that the blood is red. Angels are depicted with white feathered wings. The opposite of that would be leathery, slick, corrupted. Bat wings. Yes. Over time the church needed a standardized version of Satan, something more fearful. The image of the satyr stuck
0: is anything unique to christianity even christmas was stolen
2: right the winter solstice the yule log the mythic trees of Mesopotamia and ancient greece saturnalia norse vikings thought that the mistletoe was a powerful plant could create peace between enemies mithra and perseus inspired the virgin birth
0: this is all very interesting but none of it answers my original question
2: is the demonic being you're describing real yeah not impossible but improbable
0: so we're back at the beginning Dr. O'Dell seems all over the place. He avoided my questions. He talks in circles, never outright outruling the possibility of a monster or demonic presence, but never giving an answer in the affirmative, which is what I'm after. What about mass hysteria? Is it possible the people of Evanston are playing a game of telephone, a single rumor that builds over time, more elaborate or outrageous as it spreads?
2: I say nothing is impossible.
0: Just improbable. But what about quantum theory? What about it? Wormholes.
2: Wormholes? Traversable wormholes, that is, a wormhole that could be crossed in either direction, would only be possible if exotic matter with negative energy density could be used to stabilize them.
0: Is it possible that emotions can be translated into energy?
2: Emotions have a measurable impact on the flow of neurons. For example, a patient experiencing PTSD might be treated through music therapy.
0: Music therapy? Music.
2: Sound is vibration. These vibrations are energy. It's why listening to a sad song can make you sad, or listening to something upbeat and rhythmic at the gym can get your heart racing. Music can even cause fear. These vibrations, this energy, can interact with the energy transferred by our neurons. This is known as Emotional Transformation Therapy, or ETT. ETT also states that light can influence our moods. Natural light can ease and enhance well-being.
0: So it's possible to have your emotions manipulated and not know it.
2: Under the right circumstances, yes.
0: So we respond to light and sound on a subconscious level.
2: Like pheromones, sound and light can influence our behavior. That's what ETT is all about. Enhancing well-being through the manipulation of light and sound.
0: But something like that could be used to make you... worse?
2: Right. We don't often think about this, but the energy around us can greatly affect our own.
0: My mom always said my cousin could suck the fun out of a room. He was always so... depressed.
2: Think of it like... Osmosis. Pouring a pot of hot water into a cold one. Eventually, both pots will settle somewhere in the middle.
0: So if everyone in a place were affected by negative energy, if they were all on the same, um... Wavelength? Right. Could this cause a hive mind?
2: Again, not impossible. Collective consciousness usually refers to a united goal or purpose among those within it.
0: What if that goal was murder?
2: A mob mentality?
0: Is it possible?
2: I try not to use the word no
0: improbable, then.
2: We humans like to think we are greater than the others in the kingdom.
0: Could the negativity, all of the bad feelings and anger and animosity, this bad juju, would it be enough to open up a wormhole to, I don't know, another dimension? Hell? Assuming demons dwell in hell, yes.
2: It's a good question. You're assuming the negative energy influenced a door and not the other way around.
0: Are there places where wormholes, doorways to other dimensions exist? Uh, weak spots in the universe as we know it.
2: Yes, but I doubt they'd be small enough to fit in these woods.
0: Possible, but improbable. Correct. What about signs? Are there things to look for that are indicative of a demonic presence?
2: Yes, quite a few. Loud, unexplained noises such as a bang or whispers, music, the movement of an object of its own accord, feeling like you're being watched, extreme fear without rationale, the appearance of cuts, scratches, or bruises that appear suddenly and then vanish, Unusual coincidences. Unusual coincidences? Things that have no worldly explanation. Something seems too good to be true, it usually is.
0: So, if I were looking for something or someone and it was right in front of me the whole time, would that qualify as unusual?
2: Stranger than fiction, other signs to look for would be the appearance of shadows or lights with no source, smelling something that can't be explained. Fume of long-lost loved one, or a lingering smell of feces where there is no fecal matter present.
0: So basically anything you can't explain you can pin on a demon. It's sort of a catch-all excuse.
2: Not exactly.
0: The believers blame the demons for their misfortunes. The people of Evanston have Diana and her friends and the monster.
2: That's succinct.
0: But accurate.
2: So you're a believer.
0: In monsters, or the men who
2: create them? Are the two mutually exclusive in your mind? To invent a monster would be monstrous. Thank you for your time, Dr. Rodell. It was my pleasure, Michael. That's not my Well, I don't know what I was expecting.
0: <laughs> Ugh. There's the banging again. I wonder how many bricks I'm going to find this morning. Hey, open up. What are you doing here so early?
1: It's noon. I
0: I couldn't sleep. I was up late. I keep thinking about that painting.
1: There's no easy way to say this. What? Daniel was found dead in his gel cell this morning. He slit his wrist with a broken bottle. How he got the bottle, the cops don't know. Someone slipped it to him. A guard, maybe, or someone working for the Ganes brothers. You're starting to sound like him. I know. I don't know what's gotten into me. There's one more thing, Marty. You've got mail. What? There were two letters for you down in the lobby. I told the woman that I'd bring them up to you. I got a letter myself this morning. Our DNA results. Yeah. I haven't opened mine. Xander
0: hands me two envelopes from his back pocket. I set the DNA results aside.
1: What is that? It's from Joel Harris.
0: Joel Harris has written me a letter of confession. In it, he owns up to the attempted murder of Christiane LaPelle. Joel's letter states that he and his stepfather, Dale, met at the usual to discuss a plan to rid the world of his mistress. It took some convincing, but... Dale relented. Joel states that Christiane called him from a hotel room after encountering Dale. She later told Joel that Dale tried to reason with her. Dale did not attempt to kill Christiane, but instead tried to arrange a payoff. His weapon, the gun given to him by Joel Harris, scared her. Christiane did not trust Dale. She attempted to flee, but he charged after her. Dale was weak. Christiane, though pregnant, managed to overpower the man. Dale McGinty was dying from throat cancer, but Christiane did not know this when she put her small hands around his throat, covering the tracheostoma through which he breathed. Joel was called to the hotel room where he and Christiane planned to cover up the accidental death of Dale McGinty. As they planned and plotted, the fire in the factory broke out. Joel wrapped the corpse of his stepfather in a hotel sheet and together he and Christiane drove toward Midtown. On the way there, Joel wrote, Christiane's water broke. In writing me this letter, Joel states the notorious Gonez brothers no longer hold the cards. Marlene Harris has been returned to him and Dale's death, if his letter is true, was an accident that occurred while he was absent. Joel Harris helped destroy the body. At best, he is an accessory to manslaughter and the conspiracy to commit murder, but there is no proof of his crime, and those complicit will stick to the approved script. Dale McGinty was a victim of the factory fire, so say the people of Evanston. This puts a target on the back of Joel Harris, a fact he is all too aware of. Due to our conversations, the checks he has been receiving are sure to stop, but Joel has saved every penny, and Marlene's family is wealthy enough to aid in her care. It is time, Joel Harris writes, to leave Evanston, only this time Marlene and he will cross the borders together. To find better care. To make a better life. To leave the past behind. As for the child of Christiane and Joel, this letter confirms that Christiane gave birth that night. However, Joel never says what happened to him. But if I am this child, the second letter in my hands will reveal all.
1: What's wrong? I don't know. The person is dead. I I just... Xander
0: sets his hand on my knee. It stays there for what feels like an eternity. I don't know. I guess I'm afraid. What if all of this has been for nothing? I don't want to lose you, not when I've started to think of you as family.
1: That gave me something to hold on to. I was stuck until I met you.
0: But in reality, his hand rests on my knee for more like 12 seconds. Open it. Jesus, my hands are shaking. I've never felt more scared in my life. Not even when I came out to my parents. This is it. Xander's hand begins to move, slowly at first, like a train leaving the station. Then, a kiss
1: what was that for? Just in case, I never get a chance. In case, you know.
0: Xander acknowledges the letter in my hands, the same letter which slips from my fingers and falls to the floor as Xander pulls me back onto the bed. For a moment, I'm not thinking about Diana Harris or the monster or the people of Evanston. For a moment, I'm not thinking of wormholes or the lake or the gruesome painting. The stars I see aren't oil on canvas or hanging in the night sky. Next time,
1: on Diana's Monster.